So this video that you just saw, um, we, we filmed this Wednesday night. I don't know, four or six weeks ago, Brandy came up to me and she said, hey, we, would you be willing for us to do a cardboard testimony? And all that is is it shows our issue and then you turn it over and it shows what happens when you, when you give your issue over to Christ, when you follow Christ out of your mess. And I said, yes, that, that would go along great. A couple weeks later, I said, that would go along great with this series we've been doing, Address This Mess. And then, um, then I said, and I think I need to interview you for the sermon that day. She went, okay, yeah, great. Yeah. Uh, Brandy has been coming to New Life for seven years. Now, not seven years constant. You'll, you'll hear why in just a minute. Um, but I wanted you to hear her story, and I want to say this before we get into her story. Um, we're not at all glorifying bad choices. Um, we've been talking about in this series that every, um, every mess has some bad options. You're going to hear Brandy choose the bad options over and over and over again, and it kept taking her further, further down, bigger, bigger mess, until finally... Um, she decided to follow Christ out of her mess. She's sitting here today because she followed him out of the mess. It has not been easy. And so um, what I was telling the first service was, Brandy's one of those people that when God tells her something, she writes it on the back of her card. And so sometimes there's, and she'll say over, and I come over here, and they'll be riding down the side and around the side, and she'll run out of room. And sometimes she doesn't even have enough room on the back of her card. She'll send me an email, or she'll, one time she wrote me about a four-page letter, and here's what God's doing in my life. Well, I, so I felt like I knew a whole lot about Brandy and her life until I told her that, that I wanted to interview her and we wanted to talk about her testimony. Well, she, she sent me an email, and, and I'm going to use that as, as my cheat sheet because I learned a whole lot more through her through this than I already knew uh, You know, being in church with her for seven years. And so um, we're not at all glorifying messes. We are saying that our God is more powerful than any mess you will ever face. And if you will follow, he will lead you past the bad options, and he'll lead you to a place where he redeems you. All right, so let's get going. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow my cheat sheet here and, and ask Brandy some questions, and uh, she'll share with you. So, okay, tell us where you grew up. I grew up in Magnolia, Texas. We were pig farmers, really poor. Now, I thought pig farmers was interesting, not that there's anything wrong with being pig farmers. I just have never met a pig farmer before. Here is one. Hi. So I wanted you to, I wanted you to know that she grew up, and, but, but her story was we grew up on a, on a pig farm, and we were very, very poor. Um, Dad was kind of in and out of the picture at that time uh, before he got his life straight up. Mom had a disease. They didn't even know she had a disease. They thought she was depressed. But they were so poor that your mom would often call 911. Why? To get food and diapers. She would tell them, my children are hungry, and they would drive up with cars full of stuff for us. And it was Oops, too much. My bad. It was normal. So I thought that was incredible that, that her mom would call 911, say my babies are hungry, and they would show up with carloads of, of um, food and diapers and, and different things. And so I just want to, I want to shout out to the, to the men in blue because they take care of us more than, than nobody even knew that um, except her family. And so thank you for those of you who, who serve in, in those um, types of jobs. Um, now, because of kind of how everything was going, you, you got acquainted with the juvenile detention system. Uh, kind of tell us about that. Um, we moved to Palestine. My dad wanted to clean up his act and get sober. We moved to Palestine. He had and he five, became a policeman, he, ironically. He became a cop. And then he was all of a sudden interested in our lives. <laughs> and I didn't appreciate that, so I was in trouble a lot. And she said, why, why do you care now that I go to school? You didn't care back then. Now you care. And, mm-hmm. and so they had some conflict. When did, when did drugs and sex start for you? Ten. 
10 years of age. Um, and, and you said that you was usually with older men yes. at, at 10 years of age. Um, so uh, when you get to college, you've been kind of going through this spiraling out of control more and more. You get to college and the DEA shows up and kicks in the door. What happened? Luckily, I was actually in class and um, they arrested the guy I was with. And um, my parents put me on the bus in the middle of the night to go to Midland, West Texas to meet family and um, not go to jail. And so the boyfriend bonded out of jail, and what did he do? He bonded out. He said, I've got tickets. We're going to go up north together. I'm going to go on the run. And run from the law. Run from the law. And, um, and luckily, you didn't make that bad option choice. No, I did not. But um, Where did you choose to go? I joined the Navy. So. And how long were you in the Navy? I was in the Navy for eight years. And so tell them what you said about the Navy. It was great, but... I had too much fun. Um, legal drinking age was 19, and when I got there, I was 19. Um, I had too much money, too much time. But you did meet your first real boyfriend. I did. I met a sweet guy that I fell in love with. Um, he was a gentleman. Yeah, we're together for two years. We were. And during that time, we had four miscarriages. Um, four miscarriages. I don't want you to, to miss that. We had four miscarriages. Um, but we actually come to the States to get married. Um, we had a great reception. We had three weeks of vacation. And then we went to the airport, and somewhere along the time, he got a call from the job and said that he was called back to go back to war. And and when we were loading the plane, he told me, I can't go back. And he left. He turned around and walked away. And what did you scream at him? I screamed he was a coward, and uh, lots of times. And um, the flight attendants helped get me settled in the plane. In about 14 hours, I cried. And we said that if today, they probably wouldn't even let you on the yeah. plane because you were such a mess. Yeah. Uh, but they helped you out. You cried all the way back. Um, you eventually come back to Palestine. You've been here a year. Things are going well. And what happens? So nine years that, that things have gone pretty well other than the, than the miscarriages. Yes. Um, well, when I got back to Japan, I found out I was pregnant and had another miscarriage alone. So that was number five. That was number five. So I came back. I was stationed in Chicago. Um I got involved with an older married man. I didn't know he was married at the time, but an older guy in rank, and I got pregnant again. When you found out he was pregnant. When he was pregnant? He was pregnant. I'm joking. It was a shock. Oh, yeah, I was like, wow. lots of money from National Enquirer. Um, When you found out you were pregnant and and that he was married. Yes, I I didn't want to have the baby. I didn't want to go through the pain of loss. Um, I was embarrassed. So I got in a taxi cab. I called my mom and told her that I was about to have an abortion, and she was the only person that knew. And you, you wrote something here about guilt and, and pain. It, con- it consumed me. I felt really bad, very guilty, just heartbroken that I had done that. That, that I felt like that was my only option. Um, now, let's, let's tell them a little bit why. You, you kept having these miscarriages. Why did you have those? Um, I was... My uterus has a partial septum. The top is like a heart instead of straight, and the babies would get up in a certain position and suffocate. So I could only carry to about 12 weeks, and they would die. And I did not think that I would have children. And you were actually told you'd never be able to carry a child past 12 weeks. Yes. Um, So you get back to Palestine, nine years of fairly things going good other than the miscarriages. And what happens here in Palestine? Um, I come home, um, kind of moped around a lot, kept to myself. Um, I was encouraged to go out. 
I was on antidepressants and other meds, and I went out and I got pregnant again. But this time, you you weren't about to have an abortion. Why? No. And the man was. I found out he was married to with children, and he was an alcoholic. But I, I couldn't risk the what ifs. I couldn't. What have I done? I was even if, if even if I was going to lose this child, I would just have to go through that pain. I wasn't going to abort another child. So she went through. She she went out and had a, a weekend of kind of fun and and hooked up with uh, with an old high school crush that she didn't know was married. She found that out later, um, and she didn't know that he was an alcoholic. Now she went ahead and had the baby. Um, she moves out to West Texas, right? Ran ran out there, ran because you were trying to get away from from some abuse. Um, and then he gets a he gets a divorce, and what does he do? He follows us. He comes and finds us. And so, uh, what kind of life did you live when he found you? It was very scary. I was very depressed, scared of my shadow, lots of abuse. Um, I've lost two teeth because at one point he thought that I was having an affair with my brother. Um, it was very dangerous. And so, um, you became pregnant again. Well, you, you had Tawny, mm-hmm. and she said that her big brown eyes just melted her heart, and she was grateful to God that she kept her. She got pregnant again with TJ. Mm-hmm. And, and you were afraid of your own shadow. Tell us why. Um, he said Paul, or my ex, would um, physically beat me. And he had beat me when I was pregnant with my son. And, and um, that hurt. So how would you, at night, what would you do? I would lock. I had a bunch of deadbolts on my door in the bedroom. And I would lock myself in our bedroom. And Paul would, or he would get drunk and pass out on the couch. And we just kind of lived in the bedroom. You and Tawny me would and be Tawny. locked in the bedroom. Um, and you started, it says, you, you started to sneak out and go to the, uh, for refuge at the crisis center. I did. I started counseling there. And then that's, um, the counselor asked me, she's like, what do you think something you need? Cause you won't leave him. And I was like, well, I need a church. And, and she gave me the number to new life. She was friends with Doug and them. And I've been going there since coming here since. So you and Tawny started attending new life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, how did you how did you finally get away from the ex? Um, because of the abuse, the physical abuse when I was pregnant, I knew that I had to get out of this situation. Um, for one way, I, I felt it was okay if he hit me, but he was not going to hit my child. And I was carrying my child, so I had to get away. Um, and let me just stop right there. The only reason you thought it was okay for him to hit you is because you were unhealthy. Yes. Mentally yes. and emotionally, because that is not okay. Yeah. Um, but but because where she was emotionally, she did not think she deserved love. She thought she was worthless. She thought it was okay. It is not okay. Just want to throw that out there. Yeah. And so you you decided you needed to get away from him. And what'd you do? Um, we had van troubles, and we we borrowed six hundred dollars from our landlord, and um, my brother had ended up fixing the van for us, and so we still had that money. And um, my brother parked down the street. He flashed his truck lights. I snuck out of my room with Tawny. We robbed him of that $600. And we went out and we met Ben, my brother, in the woods and never went back. When you came to New Life, you said you started uh, attending a small group. And and how did that go for you? I loved my small group. We were doing Experiencing God. And uh, the ladies in my small group were actually the people that was in my delivery room with my son. So they were my... yay, small group people. That's a a big deal. (laughs) They were my rocks. Um, when you got back here, um, of course you had TJ, and you got then you, you became a manager at a Dollar General. 
um, you had what kind of things were, were attached to your ex to keep him away from you? Um, we did so much court stuff. Uh, family, he had family violence charges, stalking charges, um, just all kinds of legal issues. So once you started work, um, you got out of some of the mess, but you said this is actually when it got really hard and you started living somewhere you couldn't afford. Right. One of the ladies in the small group was like, here's a home that you can use. And um, the rent was just really too much. I couldn't afford it. Um, and at first I was making minimum wage at the dollar store, my first job since the military. And I, c I couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford the space. I couldn't afford to feed us. And what would you do because you couldn't afford to feed you? I, I wouldn't eat. I would starve. To so. make sure that her kids could have food, she, she wouldn't eat. Mm -hmm. um, and so she wrote on here, that's when my mess got messier because you made some bad decisions. We said last week, every mess comes with bad options, and you chose some of the bad options. What were they? Um, I rented out my different parts of my rooms to people for the income to come in to help pay for my rent. And I even had a live-in child care come in um, but the people I got were not good they were people from my teenage days when I was always locked up in juvenile for bad stuff and you said you assumed something about them what did you assume about them I, I assumed that since I was in my 30s and somewhat got it together that they had two but they hadn't they were still in their habits now during this time what happened with the ex um because he was put on probation, he cleaned up, he got sober, and uh, thankfully, and he found him a, a good woman, and they would start picking up the kids every other weekend. And that's, that's key, because at this point, when you're making these bad choices and you found out stuff was going on in your home, what, what would you do? How did you react when you found out the stuff that was happening? Um, you know, I would go to work, and I'd come home, and people would tell me, I think they're selling drugs out of your house and stuff. And I pretty much pieced it together that they were, and I just turned my back to it. Um, I'd put up a fuss sometimes, but if I ran everybody off, I wouldn't have any money, and we would have to. I didn't know where my, me and my children would go, so I made lots of bad decisions. And because of those decisions, how did that affect your, your church attendance? Um, I had so many lies to cover up that... I just isolated and pulled away from everybody in this church. And, um... and then on December 14th, 2011, what happened? The children was with their dad, and I was coming home from a late night at work, and um, somebody broke into my house and um, raped me for somebody else's drug money. And then they stuffed me in a trunk of a car, and they took me out to the woods and dropped me off. To die. To die. Left you to die, but you didn't die. Uh, you said you were rescued, but those people were not aware of that. Um, the kids were with their dad, and it was a good thing that he had, he had sobered up by this point and, and was taking them, because how did you react to the rape? Um, I spiraled out of control. I walked away from I never picked my kids back up. Um, I knew that I was in a dangerous situation, an unhealthy situation, and I left them, and... Um, I walked away from my job, my house. I parked my car on the side of the road and walked away from yeah, it you all. You literally walked away. I mean, you just shut everything off. You, you ran and left everything behind. I did. And you became what? I became a junkie. So for six months, you said you were out of touch with reality and, and didn't fight for your kids and you were ready to die. Yeah. Now, 
This is when your sister somehow by the grace of God finds you and she tells you a story. Where does she tell you that she's going to take you? <laughs> that girl over there. Yes. <laughs> she found me at a hotel and she's like, I'm going to take you to mom's and try to get you cleaned up, wash your clothes. That's not what happened. Um, but, but you said that, so you get in the car with her and, and the boyfriend at the time. He was clean. Uh, you know, he was in a suit and all this stuff. How was he acting? He was very nervous. He kept looking at me and was very fidgety driving. And I was like, find out why in just a I was like gosh, this guy's a weirdo. <laughs> Where'd she find him? Because <laughs> they didn't take you to mama's. Where did they take you? They took me to the VA. They had contacted the VA. And um, there, was, um, there was a rape trauma program that I qualified for. But they had to get me there, and they had to get me sober. And and when was it that she said, look, sister, I got you? So I'm strapped to a gurney at the VA clinic waiting for my ride. (laughs) My sister's, and I'm kind of mad at her. (laughs) She hands me a, she's holding a cup, and she's like, look, I got you some Coke. It has a bendy straw. I was like, gee, thanks, Ashley. As she's strapped to a gurney. She remembers that. That's in her testimony. Now, the nurses argued about whether you were, were who you said you were. Why? Because I'm a normal 230-pound plump female, but I showed up to the VA system 102 pounds. They, they did not believe that she was Brandy Lovelady because she was emaciated from all of the drugs and, and the bad choices. Now, once you, uh, once you sobered up, um, you were admitted, it says, to a dom- uh, domiciliary? The domiciliary, that's something that the VA offers, yes. And so what, what, how did you start getting your life together at this point? Um, even though I was at the domiciliary for rape trauma, they offered stuff like NAAA and Celebrate Recovery, and nobody would talk to me, and I had nothing to do with my time, and I knew that I had these issues. I started attending meetings. Now, you weren't there for drugs and alcohol. You were there why? The rape trauma. But you knew that you also had drugs and alcohol issues, and so she started attending everything to, to have some place to go and to learn. Um, after a month of meetings, what did you finally have the courage to do? Speak. And I love how she describes it in here. When you spoke that night, it was what? It was spiritual vomit. Spiritual vomit. <laughs> I wanted you to hear that. Because she just, all of these things, we, we say in Celebrate Recovery, and I'm sure you say this in the landing too, that you're only as sick as your secrets. She had a lot of secrets, and it was destroying her. And when she finally had the courage to open up, that's, that's kind of the beginning of healing when you, when you open up and start sharing things. Now, um, at, at that night, now to describe, describe the, the area where you were. You said because you're a rape survivor, um, they, they want you to be in a nice area. So talk about that. They, um, the women's unit was just very pretty feminine. They want you to feel like a woman, safe and secure. So I was in the restroom. Um, I was in the taking a bath, and there was a TV on the wall, lots of flowers and stuff. The bubbles smelled horribly good. You know, it, you know. <laughs> it Even the to, bubbles were good. Yeah, I remember that day, and I was reflecting over what I had said at um, NA. And that's probably the first time I actually talked to God or I acknowledged God. And I was thinking about the spiritual vomit, but I wasn't okay with it. So I was screaming at God, just kill me, just take me. I'm worthless. I've left my children. I've hurt everybody. I I can't produce good choices. I can't be a good person. Just take me. And I cried and screamed until the bubbles went away, until the water was cold. Um, I got up and I got dressed. 
I was walking down the hall. Um, I heard a phone ringing. Kind of got excited, and then I realized nobody calls me. I've been here a month. Nobody cares. So and she didn't know at the time, but her family had agreed not to talk to her for a month, yeah. for 30 days. So, so she was very lonely, very isolated. Go ahead. Yes. So I heard the phone ringing, um, and I realized it come from my room. So I walked a little bit faster, and then I convinced myself, oh, it's my neighbor's. It's her phone call. <laughs> I wonder how long the phone was ringing. And then I got to it. I answered it. And it was my daughter. And she said, Mommy, I love you. Is that you? I prayed to Jesus to bring you home. I miss you. And I dropped to my knees and I knew this was God. And my life was never going to be the same. She said he would not let me die because he had plans for my life. Um, when you were released, you said the hard work really began. Why, why was that so hard? Um, a lot of burned bridges. A lot of trust issues. I had... I had a lot of making up to do, and I didn't know how. And so where did you sleep? Um, We slept in our car because my dad said he couldn't do it. He couldn't trust me. So slept in our car. We tried a couple of friends, but I felt like that was old habits. So we went to the the woman's shelter, and we were able to rebuild. You said while you were there, you and Tawny both were in intense uh, counseling. Yes. Why was Tawny in counseling? Tawny was in counseling for the abuse that she had witnessed her dad and I have, and then um, for the abandonment because I had left her. Um, You said at this point you realized you needed a church family. I did. And um, I told Tawny, or actually it was Tawny, he's like, we need to go back to church. Yep. She's like, we're going to go back to new life. And I'm like, nope. (laughs) Why didn't you want to come back to new life? Because I felt like I disappointed everybody, and I didn't, I didn't want to. I didn't want to face everybody. But you made the decision to come back. Why? Um, I want my daughter to learn that when you mess up, you try to fix it. Be brave. So when you got here, heart pounding. <laughs> yeah, heart. Yeah, pounding. you actually said something about Eminem. Yeah. The the rapper. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I didn't know anything about the song. I, I, I was wondering if you'd Google yeah, it after I, that. I, no, I didn't even bother to Google it. I, I didn't care that much to know. Uh, but she had an Eminem song going through her head as yeah. she comes in. Palm sweaty. <laughs> Mom's spaghetti. Yeah, y'all know that. I don't know that. Y'all need help. Uh, <laughs> I was very nervous. Um, so what happened when you walked through the door? One of the ladies from my small group was over by the coffee pot, and she screamed my name. And I was like, oh, oh, run. And she's like, I love you. And she come and hugged me, and everybody celebrated our return. You said you were fortunate enough to go to AACR Counseling Church every day. Why was that a big deal? I was messed up. I needed some help. <laughs> and you said you were really, really afraid of the old habits, the old people. I was. I was afraid that I wouldn't make the right choices. Even, even afraid of the attacker. Yes. So then you tried to fast. And those of you who don't know what fasting is, it's, it's when, you, when you go without food for a, for a time so that you can pray really seeking God. And so you began to fast, and what happened with that? It sucks. Don't do it. No. You should do it. <laughs> it's hard. You should do it for the right reason. You should. Don't I'll... do it to diet because you will not. Yeah. It won't work. Um, I, I was so scared of making the same wrong choices, and I was in the same position I was when I left my ex alone with me and my children and I um I fasted for a job um the crisis center said get through the holidays bond with your children and then you can worry about your goals and I was like okay I want the job that God wants me to go to so I fasted and um 
I was awakened in the morning by a man's voice. He's like, Brandy. I was like, who's that? And um, <laughs> we were in the crisis center. There wasn't nobody there. And so later on that day, I was at an AA meeting, and I get a phone call. I get three phone calls. And the first one was that voice and said, um, do you want to work at the juvenile detention center? You know, And I was, I was like, that's that voice. I'm going to follow it. And I said, yes. I had two more phone calls within the hour. One of them offered me a position starting around $17, $18 an hour doing management. And I was like, man, that would get me out of my situation. I was the like, old Brandy. The old Brandy would have been like, that's what we need, money, money, money. And then, um, but the other two phone calls, I had to work Sundays. So I knew that was out because I needed my God. I needed my church. I needed my commitments to follow through. So I went with the first phone call. So she said she, she chose Juvie and she stayed with uh, Juvie. And she would walk um, to work at night. She had, a, she had a babysitter come stay with the kids. She would walk at night so that she would know that her kids were uh, safe at home asleep. And then uh, I got to read you this part because she won't say it. She wouldn't say it in the first service, so I wanted you to hear this. She was saving up money for a crappy rental house. Um, I just wanted you to hear that part because you wouldn't have said that. Um, and someone from the church sprang something on you. Um, we were fighting maggots and walking through floors of our house. and um, members- she, she contacted the landlord, told them about all of this stuff. They wouldn't do anything. So literally, yeah. literally maggots, literally the kids would fall through the floors in the rent house. And... Um, Church members, dear friends, they were like, hey, we have this rental property, but the kicker is it's on the same lot of the house that you were attacked in. You could touch it from the front door. Um, it was like one of the mother-in-law houses. So you had, what had you done to the house where you were raped? I gave it humanistic characteristics. I hated it. I would drive by and spit at it in every bit of hurt and anger and just, Every time I seen it, I felt these things. I and did. you said if you moved into the little apartment out back, you could do what? Spit on it every, every day. Every day, if you walked out to work, I could literally <laughs> spit on it, not just spit at it. Um, and so this is a big deal. This is this is huge to you. Why did you decide to move into that place? I knew that my friends were not trying to hurt me, like to jab me. That this must be God, and because it's a soul wound of what happened there, I feel like God wanted me to confront it. And to take these those human characteristics away from that house. So there was a day that your whole perspective changed about that house. Tell them about that. Yes. Um, the kids were playing in the leaves. I have pictures from years before of the kids playing in the same area. It was a beautiful day. We had some Christian music going. The windows were up. And it, it was so beautiful. And I was like, God, this is beautiful. And... Um, it's like God told me it's the same place, but it's a different perspective, just like your life. And I'm totally at peace with that house. I don't spit at it no more. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Nope. I wish we had video. No. no. Um, you started CR at, at New Life, I and did. how long was it before you started co-leading? It took about a year. And so you walked through the, you said you walked through healing from the, the sexual assault, and um and you also, something else came out of that. What, what else did you co-lead after that time? Um, shelter from the Storm. We were at CR, and a lot of women had talked about sexual trauma or abuse as children or as adults. And, and so I, I asked the church if we could teach uh, Shelter from the Storm that would help ladies with that. And there was a lot of healing. It was amazing. And it was a calling put on me to serve women 
to serve others, and it was pretty awesome. One of the things that, that we all kind of discovered from that is there's a lot of people sitting here that, that have shame from, from a sexual um, assault of, in, in their own life. And so when they went through this, she said it was one of the most beautiful things that, that she ever saw as women were, were able to, to have a safe place to open up about that and then to heal from that. Um, now, I wanted you to hear this. So you got the job at the juvenile detention center, and it went through major restructuring, almost shut down. In fact, it did shut down. There used to be 30 employees at the juvenile detention center. How many are left? Me. <laughs> Just me. If you hear a voice in a, in a dream, and voice calls you at AA. Okay. <laughs> and I was able to get my associate's degree at this job, and I'm working towards my bachelor's, and I have a position to be a juvenile probation officer and help people in this community and it's pretty cool so not only is her is her job where she's at the juvenile detention center or at the at the uh, probation probation office she's doing it there but she's also helping teenagers here she's she's helped she said one of her favorite days of the week is is monday why i love my cr group the ladies i can just be me and i'm around other ladies that want to just be them and to be able to help them do that is awesome so monday nights my favorite night of the week one of the steps, the 12th step of CR, any, any Christian um, recovery program, is to give back. God doesn't heal you for you. And, and in fact, if God just healed you for you, that would be a kind of an empty life, wouldn't it? Yeah. Because God, God didn't cause those things to happen to you. God allowed them, but he rescued you through them. And now you're, you're able to use those things. And you, have, you see how God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That does not say that God caused the things to happen. It says that God used everything in her past, her choices, other people's choices, to bring Brandy to the place she is today. And she's using that to bring other people healing. To me, that there's nothing more fulfilling than, than that. Now, um, something is significant about the month of June. What, what is June? Four years clean and sober. <laughs> so I want to read you kind of the ending here. She says, I mean it when I say that I am spiritually and mentally healthy. I'm in a position to offer CR to hurting teenagers through the landing. My favorite part of the week is, is my adult CR group. Um, she said, God is bigger than anything. I thought this was funny. God is bigger than anything. Mental illness, addiction, trauma, CPS, and the IRS. <laughs> yes, he is. Now, she mentioned it earlier, but I, I wanted you to hear this again as we wrap it up. Here she, in, in, in the letter she wrote to me, she said, Miscarriages, my sexual sin, and the sexual sins of others are part of my soul wounds. What do you mean by that? Hurts that crippled me. Just hurts. So you had told me earlier in this that when you were a kid, you were never happy. No. In fact, she said there's not a single picture of her any time in her childhood where she smiled. No. Other than, than when she met the guy and, and got married, there were some happy days there. But she said even into her adulthood, she never smiled because of all the stuff that had happened to her. Um, there's a difference, though. Today, <laughs> I smile. She said, today you'll never find me without a smile because God is good and she is blessed. Yes. Thank yeah. her for being willing to, to sit up here and, and share her story. Thank you. <laughs> Don't just stay standing. Stay standing.
We normally talk. You have to stay up. We're gonna we're gonna pray and be dismissed. But you can go. You can go down. Thank you. You can be released. <laughs> uh, oh, you know what? I forgot about the video. Yeah, I can sit down. The guys back there are like, "What are you doing? Come on, sucker!" Uh, it is a huge thing for for Brandy to come up here and and share her story. And the reason we we wanted to do this is because somebody out there is so afraid of sharing what has happened to you. You are not the only one. Satan has been destroying lives as long as there have been people, and he wants you to keep it a secret, and you will stay sick as long as you keep it a secret. But when you find and I'm not saying you have to do the Brandy thing. This was seven years later, you know, and, and four years sober that Brandy was even able to get up here. I'm not saying you have to get up here and share your story. But for whatever reason, God has said in in the book of James that we're to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another so that we are healed. If you want forgiveness of sins, you pray to God. If you want healing from sins, for some reason, God has involved other people. And the reason many of you are not well is because you've not found at least one or two Christians that you can trust and that you can share your life with. Please, please find those people. More than likely, there are some here that would walk with you through healing. And that's why we wanted you to hear that. Um, don't even, I don't even think it's appropriate to make all our noises. We have our baskets at the back. You can fill out your registration cards. You can give back there, all of that stuff. You know what those are for. Um, I've showed this video before, but I thought it would be kind of the exclamation point on the end of our service today. Uh, we'll watch this, and then, then we'll, we'll be dismissed in prayer. This is the, the song Redeemed, and it's very similar to what we did with our uh, cardboard testimonies, but, but just wanted to end the service this way. you ever believe for a minute the lie from hell that you are defined by your past. God is more interested in your future than he is in your past. If you're a Christ follower, you have been redeemed and all the power that raised Christ from the dead is available to help you overcome your past. That's the message we want you to carry out of here today. Let's pray together and be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you that, like C.S. Lewis said, you're, you're the hound of heaven who pursues us. I thank you, God, that you chased Brandy to West Texas, back uh, all over the place, to the crisis center, to, to different places that she tried to get away from you. You, you rescued her. God, you, you said, follow me, and thank you that she accepted your call and she followed you out of the mess. God, we know that, that not everything is done and you're not finished with her life. And so we just pray blessings on Tawny and TJ. We pray, God, that, that you would be um, everything they need you to be uh, in the future so that, that they grow up. And God, we pray that you will use their stories um, to reach others for Christ as well in the future. God, if there's someone here who is struggling, they're alone, they feel condemned, Father, would you raise up somebody in our church? Would you bring someone across their path that they would trust and develop a relationship with so that they could share that and and be healed from their past? We pray all of this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Hug four people. Tell them you love them. You're dismissed.